there's an invisible race going on uh, this morning. My youngest son, Greg, is running the Route 66 marathon this morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, hoping to qualify for the, ba- the Boston Marathon. And the way it works out is this. If he's done running before I'm done preaching, he'll qualify. But if he's still running by the time I'm done preaching, his time will be too late. So I'm watching the clock and if I go a little long, I'm just trying to give him some grace, you know, but I don't know if that's really gonna affect his qualifying time at all. We set aside a day each year for Thanksgiving. Uh, why do we do that? I think it's to force ourselves to remember to be thankful. I mean, Thanksgiving is like a string that we tie around our finger to help us remember not to forget something. The string is a visible reminder of a promise made or an appointment scheduled or a, or a task required. And so Thanksgiving sort of functions like that and and we need it because our tendency is to forget, to get caught up in the present, to skip over those things which aren't forefront in our minds. We all know that there are things that ought to be in the forefront of our minds, but we get busy so quickly, we get preoccupied so quickly that we forget. I suspect though Thanksgiving isn't scheduled only or just to keep us from forgetting. It's also to remind us to be grateful for the blessings that we have received and to not take them for granted. We have a tendency towards ingratitude as well. After having a particular privilege for a long time, we start to think that we deserve the privilege even if we didn't do anything to earn the privilege to start with. It's my perspective that ingratitude is at an all-time high in our culture. We are a culture with a large number of folks who think they're entitled to this or that, and some of those people are us. And, well, the story that we're reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke discusses our need to be grateful, our need for gratitude, or maybe even better, it talks about the intangibles or maybe tangible gifts that come with gratitude. This is Luke 17, starting in verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. And since this is the gospel, I would invite you to stand for the reading. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, 
Where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In writing about this particular passage, one Bible scholar says, this story anticipates what is yet to come in Acts. A growing blindness in Israel and a receptivity among the Gentiles. Why was this the case? Israel's special place in God's plan for the world had turned in upon itself. Duty had become privilege and frequent favors had settled into blinding familiarity. The reasons are many and deep and are complex, but the story does not give us license to point our finger. It is often the stranger in the church who sings heartily the songs that we have long left others to sing who expresses gratitude for blessings we had not noticed, who listens attentively to the sermon we think we have already heard, who gets excited about our old Bible, and who becomes actively involved in acts of service to which we send small donations. Must it always be so, he asks. For Israel, duty had become a privilege, frequent favors had settled into blinding familiarity. Israel had a special mission in the world. They had a unique history of interaction with God, from Abraham to Moses to Isaac to Jacob to Samuel to David to Solomon to Elijah and Isaiah. This relationship between God and Israel was based in the dream of God that Israel would represent him to the world. Israel was God's invitation to the whole world. But instead of doing that for which they were designed, Israel forgot their duty and reveled in their special relationship to God, looking down at everyone else around them, setting themselves up to be the world's judges. They were self-righteous, arrogant, self-satisfied, and they managed all of these negative things while not representing the Father to the world. In fact, you could say they misrepresented the Father to the world. Duty has become a privilege. I think you could make the case that much of the church is not doing a very good job of representing the Father's heart to the world today. Couldn't you? Not everywhere, um, not in all cases or all corners, but you'd have to say the witness to the Father's heart is clouded and murky at best. And yes, I understand that it's the deviants and hypocrites in the church who are the ones who get the headlines and, and most of what the church does for good does not get reported. But still, our human squabbles go a long way to misinform the world about who our Heavenly Father is. I think often we have replaced duty with privilege 
or self-indulgence. But we still pray for blessings. We still want the special favor of God. And surprisingly, we still get it. All of the benefits of the gospel still accrue to us. We have cleansed consciences due to the forgiveness of sins. We have the promises of God to secure our future. We have the company of the saints to support us and encourage us. We have a listening heavenly father who promises to hear us when we pray. God blesses us in so many ways, we start to expect the blessings. But then if we have to suffer it all, we wonder what's going on and sometimes get a little angry with God. Is he gonna answer this question today or am I gonna have to wait? Or, Or we get impatient or frustrated. We read past the scriptures that point out that a measure of suffering is the lot of all Christians. We don't really want to dwell there. Our familiarity with the blessings of God has blinded us to the uniqueness of the relationship with God that he offers to us. We come to think of that relationship as something we deserve, not as a gift or a blessing for which we ought to be grateful every moment that we draw breath. I think that's our story. I think that's our condition. In this story, 10 lepers have been healed. They follow the command of Jesus to return to the priest to confirm their healing. In the process of returning, as they're on the way, they are healed of their disease. You get the sense that it took some measure of obedience on their part to turn around and head toward the priest to to report in before the healing actually takes place. And yet once they're healed, only one of them stops to return to Jesus to say thank you. And the one who is the one to return is the Samaritan, the outcast, the foreigner. Mark's making a point here about gratitude. I don't think the designation between Jews and Samaritans mattered very much in a leper colony. I mean, they were all outcasts. They were all scoundrels. They had all been separated from society. When you're at that level of desperation, other comparisons and divisions, they don't matter very much. But for some reason, Jesus manages to point out that the only one to return is the Samaritan. Maybe this is another verse of that same old song, you know, the more you are forgiven, the more you cherish the forgiveness, or, or the less you deserve, the more you appreciate what you're given. In any event, the scriptures tell us that the only person who receives complete healing, the full measure of the ministry of Jesus, is this one. The only one who gets physical healing and spiritual healing that day is the Samaritan. And it seems to me his spiritual healing is tied to his gratitude. Think about that for a moment. His spiritual healing is tied to his gratitude. His spiritual and emotional health are tied to his gratitude. Somehow, our sense of gratitude matters to Jesus. 
which of course prompts me to ask, how grateful are we? How, how are we doing in this area? Are you aware of the blessings you have received? Do you know what gifts you've been given? Do you appreciate them? We used to sing a song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. That's a great exercise to count your blessings. Can you list them? Are you still grateful for them or have you forgotten how blessed you are? My suspicion is if you've forgotten how blessed you are, then you're taking for granted the blessings that you have and you're in this dangerous position of sliding into a perspective that allows you to think you deserve these blessings. Do we deserve blessings? I don't think that we should. I don't think we should think that way. The psalm we read or heard this morning, Psalm 103, is a catalog of some of the things for which we're always grateful. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. What are his benefits? He forgives your iniquity. He'll forgive your sins. He'll heal your diseases. He'll redeem your life from the pit. He'll crown you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good all your days. He works for vindication and justice for us. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Boy, if anyone needs God's patience, it's me. Slow to anger and abounding in love. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that good news? We don't get what we deserve. We've received compassion and mercy instead. The Lord has compassion for those who fear him. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. These are very basic reasons to praise and to be grateful. We've been created with a purpose. God made room in his creation for us. We are loved and esteemed. We have blessings beyond number. Those are reasons to praise, reasons to be grateful, reasons to hope. But do we? What must we do to remind ourselves to be thankful? How do, you, how do you demonstrate your gratitude? I guess that's the question I would most like to leave you with today. How do you demonstrate your gratitude? The Samaritan returned to give thanks. It's my suspicion that every other one of those lepers, the other nine, were grateful in their heads, right? I mean, how could you not receive the blessing of Christ and be healed from leprosy and not be grateful in your head? If you think of all that leprosy meant in this society, 
It meant you couldn't live with your family, you had to move outside the city limits. It meant you were completely reliant for, on other people for your food and livelihood. It meant you could never step into society. It meant you were humiliated by the fact that if you approached anyone else, you had to shout out your medical condition so that they wouldn't come in touch with you. That wouldn't have worked so well in an age of HIPAA, would it? Where we're all entitled to keep all of our medical facts you know, private to us. This is anti-HIPAA. You had to shout out your medical condition to protect everyone else, and that was your assumed duty. If you didn't do that, you were subject to death. And so to be healed from all of that, to be returned to your family, to be able to separate from the loneliness and the stigma of that disease, to never have to shout out unclean again, these guys had to be grateful in their heads, right? And they miss out on the full blessing of God because their gratitude only stays in their head. It doesn't get expressed. And the one foreigner who returns to Jesus and says thank you and praises him in a loud voice is the one who gets wholeness, not just physical health. That's God's desire for you wholeness, not just physical health. Physical health is great, but knowing that the death rate is still 100% means that we're all going to lose that at some point during our lives. But wholeness, we can take with us now and into the next life because the peace of God, the wholeness of God is the gift that he gives to all of his children. And that's what the Samaritan receives. He receives the wholeness, the shalom of God. And that's what we desire. And it seems like in this story, the shalom of God is tied to the expression of gratitude. And I'm wondering, how do you demonstrate your gratitude? The very act of expressing gratitude changed the man who was healed. How might you change if you made the expression of gratitude a part of your daily living? How might God respond to that? If your life, rather than expression of demanding or grasping or, or hoping for more, by the grace of God, by the gift of God, became an expression of thanksgiving. May your hearts filled with joy burst forth in gratitude to God for all of his blessings. And may that gratitude infect all of our communications in the days ahead to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.